Welcome to Healthy Habits Happy Moms Radio, where we are all about helping you find balance in food, fitness, and family 365 days a year with your hosts, Jennifer Campbell, Lauren Kosky, and Annie Breeze. Welcome back to another episode of Healthy Habits, Happy Moms Radio. You are with Annie and Jen today. We've got a special guest today. Bethany Bellingham is going to join us for a little chat about the word fat. The word fat can be used as a noun, an adjective, or a verb, and it's been seen and heard in a variety of contexts, but so often... We have negative stigmas and myths and cultural bias attached to the word fat. And on today's episode, Bethany, Jen, and I are going to discuss the implications of these common connotations we see associated with the word fat. And I'm going to warn you, this is a highly controversial topic, but we hope to give you some good food for thought, pun intended. Um, and might even challenge your perspective a little bit. And I do want to note that Lauren is still on a bit of maternity leave. So she's at home with um, her two kiddos, and she's hanging out and getting cozy with them. So um, it's me and Jen and Bethany. How are you, Bethany? Great. I'm so happy to be here. You guys are so cool. I am so happy to have you. And so I have to tell our our listeners that we know Bethany because she started a habit-based health approach to her health and her goals a while ago, and she wasn't really finding anyone else in the industry that was doing a habit-based approach um, until she found us, and she has been an avid, active member of our Facebook community, and people love her. I mean, we love her, but people really love Bethany's like no-nonsense honest approach to her habits. So we are, we're just so happy to have you. Thank you. I'm, I'm honored to be here and I learned a lot from you and you know, I'm, I'm glad to share. Well, the feeling is definitely mutual. We definitely learn a lot from you. In fact, we've, we've mentioned, we've talked about you on the podcast before. Did you know that? We've, that we've, we've thrown I your did. name I out there. <laughs> We're talking about you. And Jen, are you here? How are you? Yes, here. Good. I'm, I'm so excited to have Bethany on today. I was just thinking about along the lines of the topic of our podcast. I did a post about Bethany on my Facebook page when it must have been last winter, I think. And shared a picture of her, talked about our friendship, talked about Bethany in general and kind of her fat activism that she does. And the post went totally viral, which was so cool. And I think probably changed a lot of people's perspectives and and took a lot of people over to Bethany's page to follow her. And yeah, I was just thinking about that before we got on this call about how cool that was and actually how long I've known Bethany now. And, you know, like Bethany and I chat here and there privately, which is really nice. I've gotten to know her more personally and she's gotten to know me. So yeah, I'm just really excited to have her here and be getting her more involved in in what we do. Yeah. And if you don't already follow Bethany before we get too uh, deep into the topics, she blogs at Power, Peace, and the Porch Gym, and she's on Facebook. And you're on Instagram too, right? I am on Instagram, but although that's more about my garden stuff, and I got to <laughs> say, you were going to start this podcast with me crying and blushing. Thank you oh. for all the kind words. <laughs> All right, so let's just get right into it because we have a lot that we want to cover today and we want to respect our listeners' time, of course. You know, there's just so much we can talk about, but the first thing I want to address is the term fat phobia because I will be honest, before I 
got into healthy habits, happy moms, I didn't even realize that this was a thing. And I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to say that as a, as a professional in the fitness and health industry, but I was not familiar with the term fat phobia. Um, I'm sure a a fair amount of our listeners maybe will recognize it after you start explaining what it is, but just didn't know that there was a name for it and the, um, consequences of living in a fat phobic culture. So Bethany, can you describe a little bit more what fat phobia is. So fat phobia is actually a pretty big concept and it's a blanket term for a type of um, oppression that fat people experience and all of us in society can suffer as a result of. And it's a big term and hard to define. And I'm going to give some credit to um, activist Virgie Tovar, who wrote a column just the other day called The Three Levels of Fat Phobia. And I'm going to use her explanation to kind of describe the different types of fat phobia and what they are because I think it's very easy to understand and relate to the way she lays it out. The first level of fat phobia that Virgie talks about is intrapersonal. So the fat phobia that we have within ourselves. You know, we might feel badly about our bodies and people of all sizes can experience intrapersonal fat phobia, either feeling shame about their size or fear about becoming fat. And an example of intrapersonal fat phobia, um, I'm almost directly quoting Virgie's article, is when someone cannot focus on a meaningful moment in their lives, like a wedding or an important birthday or sex, because their fat phobic thoughts are so loud that all they can think of is how this moment would be better if they were in a more acceptable size. So that would be an example of intrapersonal fat phobia, and that is often felt by people of all sizes. And as we get to people of bigger sizes, the other levels of fat phobia can be felt. So the second level would be interpersonal, and it has to do with how um, individuals see and treat you. While a thin person might experience internalized fat phobia about themselves, largely in society, they're not living in fear of people making comments to them or shaming them about how fat they are or making negative comments about their body size or about what they're eating or what they should be eating or shouldn't be wearing or how they should dress. So that has more to do with like the interpersonal fat phobia. And that can also look like fat individuals might always be stressed out because we don't know when somebody's going to make a comment to us about our bodies. I know personally, I used to have a lot of fear about going to see family members that I hadn't seen in a long time because I didn't know if they were going to be making a comment about my body today. And then the third level of fat phobia that we would talk about is on the institutional level. So this has to do with actual access to meaningful participation in our society. So like an example of institutional fat phobia would be if a fat person goes to the doctor seeking treatment for their depression or perhaps an ear infection, and instead of leaving with a prescription to address depression or an ear infection, they leave with a prescription to lose weight. And that happens a lot. And another example of institutional fat phobia might be um, if a fat person needs to book a flight for a business trip or to go visit their family or just to travel for fun, they might not be sure if they're going to fit in their seat. They might be forced to pay for a second seat because the seats literally are not large enough to accommodate them. That would be an al also an example of institutional fat phobia because it has to do with access to meaningful participation. Mm -hmm. So I am very grateful to Virgie for um, 
laying out that column just last week because I find it's an awesome way to explain the different types of fat phobia and which types affect which kinds of people. Yeah, that was an amazing overview, actually. Yeah, and I think when you really sh- when you share those examples, Bethany, a lot of them are really common, like daily common situations that arise in our lives. And um, when you start kind of bringing awareness to this as something that's fat phobic, it's pretty eye-opening. I really liked how Bethany mentioned in that first level, how it's thinking about the fear of being fat or the fear of someone making a comment about your body. I try and let everybody know that fat phobia affects larger people and smaller people because although thin people don't experience fat phobia on the third level that Bethany was just talking about um, with their doctors etc it's a fear of becoming fat and experiencing those things in our culture will keep people in chains keeps them in diet culture um, keeps them hating their bodies keeps them over exercising um, even when they're thin and it's just that fear of becoming fat we talk to women in balance 365 and in healthy habits happy moms who are large and small who stress over um, every piece of cake they have because of this intense fear of becoming fat or this intense fear of never being able to lose the weight they think they need to lose. So it affects everybody in our society. It does. And fat phobia in marketing in the diet and fitness industry is rampant. And we see it a lot. And I know, Jen, you have an experience with a Instagram post. Did you want to talk about that? You know, we see marketing all the time to people that um, takes advantage of their, I don't know what we would call it, their shame reflex, I guess. And so we see it a lot marketing towards moms. So when you're pregnant and postpartum, you're going through a different phase of your life, your size changes, your hormonal profile changes, their body fat percentage will increase. And during postpartum, it will Um, For some women will slowly decrease or um, stay the same. You know, there's just different reasons for it. And while I wish women would accept this as a natural change to their bodies and view it as not good nor bad, the marketing around us, around pregnancy and postpartum women, it often says this is bad. So there's a lot of messaging in the fitness and diet industry towards women talking about this change in their life and trying to get them to buy things to help them uh, reduce their body fat percentage as quickly as possible. Because obviously as a mom, having body fat is um, quote unquote, the worst possible thing you can have. And there was a Facebook ad that crossed my feed about a year ago. And it was um, just a whole get your body back post. And it was a woman um, with a six pack. Um, You know, she just looked like a typical fitness model, you know, very, you know, muscular, extremely lean. She was at the gym, the photo for the ad. And again, there's nothing wrong with her body at all. But the message was, um, this was a body transformation, um, eight weeks. um, And I thought, why am I seeing this? Because I never see ads like that on my Facebook feed anymore. I have have spent the last few years weeding that kind of stuff out of my Facebook feed, letting Facebook know I don't want to see stuff like that in my feed. So I was wondering why that I was seeing that. And so I clicked through, if you go in the top right-hand corner of your Facebook ads, you can click and say, why am I seeing this ad? And Facebook will tell you that this ad is being targeted towards new moms. 
And I was so angry and I actually um, ended up going, I was very, very angry, but also thought, hey, this could be an education moment to um, a woman who I guess I could consider a colleague. She works in the fitness industry and she obviously works with moms. So um, the difference between her and I is that I work with women um, pre and postnatally on their strength and their function of their bodies. Um, and she is obviously working with women on body recomposition goals. Um, and, you know, obviously getting leaner was what her ad was saying. So I went to her page and um, I messaged her privately and tried to have a very non-confrontational um, colleague to colleague um, conversation with her about, um, you know, the, maybe the ethics surrounding this ad. And I tried to tell her from, hey, look, from my point of view, I work with pre and postnatal women. This is what's happening in their lives. Um, this is why a body recomposition goal or any type of extreme caloric deprivation isn't healthy for a woman who's just had a baby. Um, really just tried to have an education moment and she came back at me and blasted me and she was extremely defensive um and it was it was an awful exchange um i i walked away from that feeling really icky about it and um i hope that somewhere in her heart she maybe could see the light but um, that's just one example of millions upon millions that Annie and I and women everywhere see of um, um, ads that cross our social media feeds talking about um, um, how to basically reduce your body size and shaming women to get there or taking advantage of their shame reflex over it. Well, and it's often very weight centric versus health centric focused. And, you know, I hope that's what we really strive to do with healthy habits, happy moms is to be more health focused, that weight is not the, the end all be all, which Bethany, I guess, do you have any thoughts to add about, you know, shame used, shame used in marketing in the fitness industry? Have you personally experienced anything or uh, do you have any thoughts on any fat phobic marketing that you've come across? Sure. Well, one particular example is a gym I was a member of a few years back put a model out of, uh, have you ever seen those models of like, here's what five pounds of muscle looks like versus here's what five pounds of fat looks like? Mm -hmm. So yeah. they had a model of here's what five pounds of fat looks like at the front desk upon checking in with a poorly handwritten sign. This is what five pounds of fat looks on your body, looks like on your body. Try our fat burning shake. And I did actually write an email to the gym explaining um, some of the negative effects of that. And some of those effects are one of the largest barriers that fatter people experience to regular workouts. And I don't view working out as any kind of obligation for anybody of any size, including fat people. I do want to say that. But there are those who might want to exercise and get more fit and get more healthy because they want certain health benefits, whether or not they want to change their size. And a huge barrier for a lot of people is the sense of shame or, or feeling like they don't belong or feeling like if they go to the gym, everybody's going to be staring at them. Or um, even just this, the subconscious realization that you're at the gym and almost everybody there is probably there because they don't want to look like you. Like imagine the emotional connotation like if right. you're the set foot in the place you kind of know like nobody here wants to look like me 
And right. um, even if you're, even if it's not, not at the forefront of your mind, it doesn't make it a positive experience. And so shame-based marketing, um, it does motivate some people if they're coming from a place of shame and fear and that internalized fat phobia, that's who it's going to motivate. Um, but as Jen has mentioned before, science has found that shame-based motivation is it's just not something that sticks well or not something that's good for your health in the long term. Um, so if we really care about wanting to help people be healthy and wanting to help people feel comfortable moving their body at whatever size they are, if they want to, we need to stop with the shame-based marketing. Right. I, I agree. I would say it's, and it's not, it's, it's not just the marketing that makes the fitness seem unwelcoming and unfriendly to larger bodies. It's, it's, and, and, and it's not, sorry, it's not always direct shame-based marketing. It's just, it's just the models that are being used, even if it's not a, sh an, an obviously shame-based message in the ad, it's always, um, that, um, fitness facilities use, um, thin, white, often blonde women for their ads, period, you know? Um, and so along with, um, you know, wanting to get rid of this type of advertising, I know there are, I know this is how we feel, our organization, and I know um, this, there's other organizations out there advocating for this, but just, we need more diversity in advertising, period, whether it's you know, shape, size, color of women. Uh, one thing that I will say as a postpartum woman, even as we move into seeing more um, body positivity and body diversity in advertising, we're still not seeing um, postpartum women uh, very often. So, you know, everybody wants to put up their hand and say, um, but I want to see a body that looks like mine. And so I guess <laughs> that's me saying that. So there was a lingerie, um, there was a lingerie company who released um, their catalog this past fall. Um, I can't remember the company. Do you know what I'm, do you know what I'm talking about, Annie? No. And, and anyways, the one, one woman in their catalog had, um, had stretch marks all oh, over. Oh, was it Lane Bryant? Yeah, it was. Yes, that's the yeah. company. So yeah, I just thought that was amazing. Like, so that's just, you know, another step in the right direction of, of, um, you know, maybe appropriate ways of advertising to women. Um, just, you know, everybody kind of wants to see themselves in, I mean, I enjoy it. I loved it. I loved when that came out and, um, I like his, he does have women of different, um, sizes and shapes and colors. And now, um, you know, to add that to their catalogs, I think was amazing. So yeah, we just don't see enough diversity in the fitness industry that make it um, a welcoming place for all people. Yeah, sure. And I think it's, um, to clarify, it's not just, um, it's not just um, larger people who uh, feel shame and nervousness about going going to the gym um, if they're not used to it. I hear from a lot of women who say they are um, reluctant to exercise in front of men in general because we're used to men picking our bodies apart or, you know, if we don't look like what we know what we're doing or we don't feel like we belong there. So, you know, it's absolutely not exclusive to, um, to fat people, but um, there's intersectionality. Yeah, like I would say a lot of time gyms are set up to be welcoming to p 
people who are already fit <laughs> and yes, you know what I mean? So it's like, they're just missing, missing the mark period. Yeah, I agree. Well, speaking of gyms and health, that's kind of one of the big myths, um, that we wanted to discuss. And I, and I know, uh, Bethany and Jim both have a lot of thoughts as well, but it's this whole, um, can fat people be healthy? And um, that we often think that thinness and health go hand in hand and fatness and disease go hand in hand. And that's obviously not the case all the time. So Bethany, what do you think? Okay, so I, I'm gonna just straight up say yes, fat people can be healthy. Right on. <laughs> and it, if me saying that raises your bullshit alarm, let's say if, uh, I'm, I don't mean you, Annie, and you, Jen, but if you're listening, and if me saying that, yes, fat people can be healthy raises your bullshit alarm a little bit, I didn't say that all fat people are healthy or that nobody is ever unhealthy because of the fact that they are fat. So just like I, I can go and say now thin people can be unhealthy, and I'd be right. And I'm not saying all thin people are unhealthy. And I'm not saying right. everybody who is thin is unhealthy because of their size. All of those statements would be equally ridiculous. So I am saying, yes, fat people can be healthy. And that is what I'm saying. Um, I'm actually not a doctor or a scientist. But if anybody wants to read research on um, correlations uh, between size and health, Linda Bacon's book, Body Respect, is a great place to start. I would um, second what that. I That's, do, yeah, it's a great book. Great recommendation. I, yeah, I, Annie's read it and I'm reading it right now, actually. Excellent. Um, what I do want to spend time on, since we're asking can fat people be healthy, is the societal belief that only people are healthy are worth being here or worth the oxygen they breathe or worthy of loving themselves so that's that is you know healthism it's ableism so if if you're sitting here saying oh you know the this body love movement is off the mark because fat people can't be healthy well let's say you're right and fat people can't be healthy do you do you really think only healthy people deserve to love themselves right totally there's you know and this sort of speaks to our um our society is health obsessed, obsessed. Yes. Um, and even as we move away from being thin obsessed, it's just um, taking people into another realm of obsession, um, of health obsessed and a health ideal. And now we have just as much um, disorder and anxiety around being healthy as we did around being thin. So that's one thing I just wanted to add here. Yeah, and, and um, it's, it's easy to say, you know, that, that's obviously a really harmful trend and full disclosure. Um, I spent a lot of years in that space myself um, in the past. So if you are in that space, I, I guess we all want to say no judgment. It's hard not to be in our culture, and it's possible mm -hmm. to move out of there if you want to. Well, Jen, Lauren, and I have talked about that before on, on previous podcasts about how we've kind of come to where we are today because we were at a different place in the past and we've um, kind of challenged, we've, we've put, us, put ourselves in situations 
um, in conversations and surrounded ourselves with people with various perspectives on, you know, whatever topic we're discussing that have, like we said at the beginning of this podcast, challenged our opinions. And reading Linda Bacon's book was really quite eye-opening because she goes into the um, kind of the bias around some of the studies and the bias we have and how we come to accept them. Um, uh, as the messages as fact, instead of questioning, like, how did that come about? Where did that come from? Where did that originate? So um, I think that's a really, a really great recommendation to check out that book. So we can put that in our show notes, too, if you want to check that out. Kind of just along the same lines, um, can fat people be healthy? What would you say about um, people that say, have this whole kind of debate about, um, the focus is too much on health and not enough on weight, and it's um, enabling people to just be fat, and um, that we're we're um, the love your body trend. It's gone too far, and that we're giving people the idea that being overweight is healthy and it's fine, and you know everyone can be happy at every size. Like you, you know, you hear people say that with this like negative like kind of chip on their shoulder stigma. What do you think of that, Bethany? I guess I'd like to respond to the question in two parts. Um, Like, how would I feel about the people who say that? Maybe they have too much time on their hands and should worry about themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Maybe, just maybe, because obviously they're talking about other people and not themselves, and I see that. Um, And I'm sure some of them mean well. So... And I'm sure some of them don't. So I'm not exactly interested in engaging in a debate with people who are going to dig their heels in and say that I'm only allowed to love myself if I meet their definition of health. So as far as engaging in a debate, I, I, I don't do that. Um, as far as the opinion itself, um, so I, I guess I would turn it around and I would say, let's say that it's a debate and the people who say that are right and the people who say that people can, that fat can be healthy is wrong and being overweight quote unquote is unhealthy let's just say they are absolutely right so then it sounds to me like they're saying that fat people should not allowed to be allowed to love their bodies because only healthy people should be allowed to love their bodies and that is a very slippery slope So, like, how would it sound if I asked you to replace fat people with people who have cancer, people who have Mm -hmm. MS, people who have autoimmune diseases, war veterans, people who have been injured in accidents and, you know, live with health problems, people who have depression. Like, if I were to say that those people aren't, shouldn't be able to love their bodies because they aren't in perfect health, um, I, I hope you would tell me I sound like an asshat. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I hope you would. Um, some of you, and, and I hope you would tell me to get a life and stop discriminating and worry about myself. So um, that's a roundabout way of saying that I'm not really interested in having that debate because even if they're right, there's no reason why only healthy people should be allowed to love or love their bodies or like their bodies or take care of their bodies and that points to what back to what Jen said about it comes from being in a health obsessed culture right it always seems to come up around the holidays when you're with your family members or people that uh close ones fans friends family that you love um but there's this like 
what do I want to say? It's kind of this concern in disguise. It's always kind of, it's in disguise as health, but really it's like this pressure to lose weight. Like I'm concerned about your health and what uh, more often or not they're saying is I think you should lose weight. Yeah. I'm and, concerned and, about your size, not right. about your health. Yeah. Right. 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 Yes. Um, I was wondering, Annie, I, I wanted to just make a quick point here before we move on um, is that we keep talking about um, healthy and I would like to acknowledge that everybody has a def different definition of what healthy is and it is um, an enormous scale. So whether you consider yourself health conscious or not, um, what is healthy? So I find that our the maybe the diet and fitness industry view and sometimes and you know sometimes even in healthcare um healthy is a very narrow um definition and um it's it's does not always take into account people's uh, mental and social health in addition to their physical health and so oftentimes what we'll see is somebody who is um very rigid with their diet and exercise um you know, to a place where a lot of psychologists would call it completely disordered, a mental health issue, but we're holding those people up in our society as the, epi the epitome of healthy, but we're completely ignoring that um, their mental health is really suffering as a result of these um, obsessions that they've um, developed and been encouraged to develop. Um, and I also think we need to acknowledge that health is it's very personal, it's very individual, and it's, it's not something that is our concern to our neighbor, friend, family member. It's between somebody and their, and their doctor, what their overall health looks like. Um, and what are we talking about? Are we talking about um, blood work? Like, is that what we're talking about? Are we talking about passing a fitness test? Um, you just can't assess somebody's total health um, by passing them on the street and looking at their size or if they happen to be in that moment eating some ice cream, um, et cetera. So an, a really good story that's been shared in our community is she went to her doctor and she had a physical and she went back for the results and everything came back stellar, like awesome blood work. Um, she's um, regularly, she's active. Um, she eats really well-balanced meals. Um, and she considers herself a health conscious person, but then her doctor um, brought up her weight to her um, in that appointment. And she said, she said, I don't understand. I, you know, the results of this physical um, were really great. What's the problem? And her doctor replied, good point. I don't know. <laughs> and they moved on. <laughs> and I thought it was such, I thought it was so cool that she was able to advocate for herself that way because a, a lot of people wouldn't, they would feel really ashamed or, or then they would see a problem in themselves, even though, even though, you know, they're a health conscious person and they're pursuing all these healthy behaviors and their blood work all comes back positive. Um, and then to have their weight brought up, which what some people need to realize is that um, having your weight brought up like that and sometimes the um, what people recommend you do to change your weight can then lead to your health um, deteriorating. So um, yeah, so that's just another point that I think um, needs to be made is that often pursuing weight loss leads to um, being, becoming less healthy. 
Um, well, and, and to add to that, Jen, you know, you talked about the definition of health and um, so often uh, mental and um, emotional health is, can be neglected when people try to pursue physical health. Totally. And um, yeah, like we have, we have a saying uh, in uh, healthy habits, happy moms that I, I feel like is referenced often, but your body, your business. And um, just kind of like the keep your eyes on your own plate um, sort of analogy. It's like, you know, you don't have to be so concerned with what everyone else is doing with their body. <laughs> yeah. And I love that um, Bethany actually reminded me last year when I, when I did this Facebook post about her that went viral, she came in um, and sort of did a follow-up post on her own page. And, and she said, I want to remind everybody that health isn't an obligation. And it's not, you know, in this health obsessed culture we live in, we, we have started to behave as if everybody is obligated to pursue healthy behaviors and weight loss at all times. And it's not an obligation. Not every decision I make every single day, day in and day out is, comes from a place of worrying about my health. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, I... There's all kinds of behaviors that people that I have that people would consider unhealthy. Like when, you know, the days I decide to lay on the couch and watch TV all morning, um, the, you know, it's just, or, you know, if I want to have ice cream for dinner or, you know, that's, and that's kind of, I guess what we're about in Balance 365 and Healthy Habits, Happy Moms is, um, is yeah, body autonomy. Like, like, and I'm not anti-weight loss either. Bethany knows this, that um, I'm not, there are lots of, people out there who work in the body positive world that are anti-weight loss. And I'm not, I am pro body autonomy. And I think um, all we can do is give people the information and let them make decisions on what's right for them. And um, outside of that, what I want is for everybody just to be able to cultivate self-worth regardless of what decisions they're making. I mean, you are not your health. You are not your body size. You are not, you know, necessarily the decisions that you're making every day. You know, we just kind of have this, we also have this obsession of wanting to grade ourselves a pass or a fail in life. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what we want to get women away from. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, Jen, you bring up, you bring up several good points there. Um, one is, um, on health, not being an obligation. I really like um, one, one blogger I really like to follow. Her name is Reagan Chastain, and she says health is not an obligation, a barometer of worthiness completely within our control or guaranteed under any circumstances. And if you want to learn more about um, fat phobia in our society and ways to challenge that, um, her blog, Dances with Fat, would be a further resource, as well as um, her blog, uh, Iron Fat, where she talks about being a, um, training for an Ironman distance triathlon um, as a person. I believe her weight's some, somehow around the, you know, 300s or so. Um, so she has a lot of experience in endurance sports, and she really opened my eyes to a lot of the um, issues around fat phobia. Um, another thing that you were talking about, Jen, was that um, not every uh, behavior that you engage in and every day is um, with your health in mind, and sometimes you just want to sit on the couch and watch TV, and sometimes you want to eat ice cream. And um, I want to point out, not as a, not as an accusatory point for you, but just for those listening, that um, Jen happens to be a tall, thin, blonde woman, 
And if she posts about doing that on social media, if she says, I'm going to eat this candy bar, um, she will receive tons of comments that say, thank you, Jen, you're so brave. Whereas if a fat person with, you know, who doesn't meet the cultural standard of beauty, like myself posts that, uh, I don't get the same response. My, my post isn't going to go viral. And that's because um, of, of internal, I guess, fat phobic values that people have. And, you know, when they see a thin person do those, those same behaviors, it's cute. Whereas if you see a fat person do it, it's, uh, you know, either disgusting or irresponsible or um, in bad taste. Uh, so that's another Another example of um, um, fat phobia in our culture, and I wanted to I, make sure to point that out. I was speaking with a fat woman um, just in the last year here, and she expanded that further to say, um, as a fat woman, there there is so much pressure, um, not just to you know, she doesn't like eating in public because she feels everything she eats is scrutinized by the people around her, but she also feels um, pressure to be fashionable all the time and, and well-dressed because she feels there is this whole stigma of, you know, fat, lazy, sloppy. And so it's, it's just, it's, there's just so much pressure for her when she's leaving the house as a fat woman to, um, how she presents herself to the world in so many different ways. She has to be quote unquote perfect or the judgment she receives is enormous compared to someone who's a, you know, a thin woman leaving the house in sweatpants and slippers, you know, or whatever, just isn't under the same type of scrutiny as a fat person. I think that's absolutely true. And speaking as I'm as a fat person who I'm not particularly into fashion or makeup. Um, It's not something that interests me. It's not a way I want to spend my time. And and yes, I am very conscious of the, you know, the way that, you know, when I walk out into the world, having not, you know, put makeup on my face, I'm reinforcing people's uh, beliefs about fat people. And I've decided, you know, for myself, that's still, you know, that's still not going to be a priority for me because it's just not and the different people have different priorities but even though it's not a priority it is an area of discomfort for me absolutely right um and um going back to the whole you know lots of people are allowed to do things that are unhealthy you know i mentioned my friend reagan before she likes to say well people are allowed to go skydiving people are allowed to play professional football people are allowed to be contestants on jackass um people are allowed to be rock stars and um and you know party all night and do drugs and do all kinds of things that are bad for them and yet we idolize this behavior um right or we idolize the people in spite of their behavior whereas fat people as a society we can't seem to get past whatever uh, whatever behaviors we think they have that we think are unhealthy james fell has brought up this point before in such a great way i mean he's a real he's a lean fit man he's a fitness writer and he's he said um he when he posts about riding down a hill on his bike at 200 kilometers an hour he gets applauded for it yet the argument that um you know especially in canada where we have um subsidized um health care um or i should say universal health care um uh, the arguments i hear up here are fat people are such a strain on our healthcare system. That's my tax dollars. However, I, in fact, in my own personal life, I have um, a man in my life 
who I love, but who goes on and on about that sometimes. He's very fat phobic. Well, he is smoking his two packs of cigarettes a day. And, but he's allowed because he's thin and goes to the gym. He can smoke two packs of cigarettes a day, but he's allowed to sit and talk about the strain that, um, that fat people have on our healthcare when really, you know, smoking has got to be one of the most unhealthy habits um, out there. And he will undoubtedly, I mean, he's already had a heart attack and he undoubtedly will have, um, you know, in my mind, probably health problems along as he goes on in his life because of his smoking. Right. And the system. And the system's going to take care of him. Yeah, yeah, it and, will. And the system's going to take, take care of other people with various unhealthy habits. And that's what we do in society. We take care of each other. And but, it's, and yeah, it's, and it's, it's beautiful. The, really. the policing people. Right. And so, and also what I want to say too, is now that we're on the topic is your habits don't always determine your health outcomes. Like, um, I read secrets from the eating lab by Tracy Mann, um, sometime in this past year. And I can't remember the exact stat I can get it and put it in our show notes, but it's something like, um, really we're, we're really only in control of about, um, I think the stat is around 30% of our health outcomes. Like, um, I think she was saying around 70% is basically predetermined by us. So, um, we think we have all, like, I believe that you can eat well and exercise, you know, will reading well and exercising and having healthy habits like that will reduce your chances of disease, etc. However, um, a lot of that is predetermined and it's genetic and environmental, etc. of, of, us developing disease and other things so we can add that to the show notes when i and we can add that book to the show notes if anyone else is interested i'm sure bethany is already thinking this too but linda bacon's um body respect kind of does goes over the same thing the determinants of population health um a lot of it is social and societal characteristics um ecology medical care, genes and biology, and about 25% of what Linda Bacon here references. Um, and I think this is actually from the Center of Disease um, Control and Prevention is health behaviors. So that, which supports just what you were saying, Jen, that um, our health behaviors really don't control as much as our, of our health as maybe we would like to think that they do. Yeah. Like your socioeconomic status that you're born into is going to be one of the biggest determinants of your health outcomes. So, you know, it just, it kind of, what's, what was so eye opening to me about that is that, so, you know, we talk a lot in Healthy Habits, Happy Moms about living a life aligned with your values. And so if you have something that's really high priority for you, but you're spending very little time on it, you're not going to feel great. And on the flip side, if you are spending a lot of time on something that's not that high of a priority for you, um, that's not going to feel great either. And so what was eye-opening about that for me was thinking how health obsessed our society has become and how much pressure is on people to spend a lot of their time pursuing healthy habits almost to an obsessive level. But really we're missing the whole point is that we can improve people's health in so many different ways, but also we need to let go of thinking we have 100% control over our health outcomes. And that's just, I think it's so appealing to think we can control it because it's less scary to feel like right. there's things that could happen to us that maybe um, I could not have prevented or 
could have maybe reduced the severity, but not totally prevented. I think it's a scary thought. And I think if we are more, um, if we're really concerned about improving health on a population level, um, knowing that socioeconomic factors and environmental factors are such a big determinant, then we need to be um, putting policies in place that, imp that um, increase people's access to healthy behaviors. Not that obligate exactly. them to engage in that, but we need to increase people's access um, to you know, healthy foods, to clean air, clean water, healthy social lives. You know, um, if you're a person who is working three jobs, what do you have time for, you know? And exactly. you have kids. It's, it's a system that um, doesn't take care of all of its people um, that really has the most room to grow in improving public health. And again, I think we can improve public health by offering options to people. I don't think people should be obligated to engage in any behaviors that right. don't work yeah. in their life or they don't want. Absolutely. Just, I, I'm, I'm just sitting back and listening a little bit to you to talk. And I, I don't know if um, any of the listeners are catching on or surprised by the term, how we're just kind of loosely referring to people as fat people. And that's something that initially when I started learning about fat phobia was kind of like, oh my God, we're calling people fat. Like that, like, is that not offensive? Is that hurtful? Is that a preference? Is that, um, you know, what is that? And as I've kind of like learned more about the topic and talked with people like Bethany and read Linda Bacon's book and Virgie Tovar's blog, it's, um, it's really kind of interesting how um, there's a movement to reclaim the language surrounding fat, overweight, obese, big. Bethany, what do you think about reclaiming the word fat? Um, personally, I like the idea and I like the reasoning behind it. Um, the reasoning behind it, if you're wondering why some people prefer to be referred to as fat instead of overweight or obese or chubby, is because um, by giving fat a negative connotation and a negative power, uh, we're actually reinforcing the fact that it is a shameful, bad thing that we should never point out and we should never talk about so like if i were to if you were going to meet me um you know at the bus station and uh you had never seen a photo of me and i i say i'm going to be the um i'm about five six fat woman in a um blue dress and i have um brown curly hair you the only just you, you might you might rush and say oh don't call yourself fat why would you do that but you wouldn't rush to say oh don't don't call yourself uh, brown-haired, or don't, don't describe the color of your dress. Those are completely neutral. We have no reaction to them. And so um, what a lot of people want to do is uh, remove the negative connotation uh, around the word fat by using it as a neutral descriptor. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of the reasoning why some people um, actually like to use that word. A lot of those same people um, don't like to have the words overweight and obese used to describe them because those words tend to pathologize a body size rather than, you know, an actual like a health condition or behavior. Like um, Jen was talking about that woman in our community who um, had just had a great physical and um, had perfect blood work and every, everything was beautiful. And yet the doctor wanted to, he was concerned about her size and then couldn't give a reason why. 
that would be a reason because, um, you know, if we establish that people can be healthy or unhealthy at different sizes, then overweight or obese um, don't really tell us much. They're really kind of medicalized terms and they encourage medicalizing the size. And also just the language itself, like overweight. Over what weight, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, I love, I love like over <laughs> what weight, yes. It's, yeah, over what weight. What are we talking honest? about? Yeah. And it, maybe it's a useful weight for sport or maybe it's a useful term for like sports that have weight classes, you know, like if you're a wrestler and you're meaning yeah. to wrestle in the 103 weight class and you measure 105, I guess, you know, you're overweight for that class. <laughs> yeah. You're overweight for the class. Right. But you know, overweight for life seems a little, um, <laughs> that's so sad. Yeah. You're overweight for <laughs> life. That's your overweight. <laughs> The just to be here, to breathe, ever. I don't know what it means. And um, also, while we're on that subject, BMI, um, it was developed in Europe, I believe in the 19th century, to measure health on, on a population level of Caucasian men. So um, if, we're, if we're wanting to call people overweight on the basis of the BMI scale, um, it probably doesn't apply to most of us in uh, the United States and Canada um, and around the world here today. Uh, we have different environmental factors than these Caucasian men did in, you know, in, at the time when the scale was developed. And even the person who developed the scale, he said he never meant it to measure the health of an individual. It was meant to measure population, <clears throat> general trends, but it was never meant to um, say anything. About well, individuals health. BMI is, is a topic that is near and dear to my heart because I, I think I'm technically classified at my height and weight as obese, yet I have no, you know, health conditions that I'm concerned about. I'm active. I, ha I feel like I engage in great health habits. So if you're going to kind of put people in a box based off of one classification, it just really rubs me the wrong way. Like I just like don't box me in. <laughs> But uh, that's true. And you know what? Many professional athletes fall in the obese category of all different shapes and sizes just because they carry muscle mass. It's heavy, you know, so it's, it doesn't really tell us much. Well, no, it, no, it doesn't. I mean, just, uh, just like your weight really doesn't tell us much. It, it, just as Jen was talking about earlier, you know, when we were talking about health, I mean, there's so many things that we can look at. Like, it's just to pick one number of all the things and put people in a box based off of that one number just seems so ridiculous. But I'm going to read something from Body Respect. And BMI is something we could probably spend a whole podcast talking about. But um, the uh, international standards for a BMI were set by the World Health Organization and that the World Health Organization relied on the International Obesity Task Force to make the recommendations. And at the time, the two biggest funders of the International Obesity Task Force were pharmaceutical companies that had the only weight loss drugs on the market available at that time. So it's kind of interesting when you get into um, what went on behind creating the BMI scale. It's like, hmm, like there's just some pieces of the puzzle that are kind of left out when we're relaying information of that nature. So um, but back to reclaiming the language. Um, this I just really like this. I, I feel like it's so empowering to own the word fat, if that's what you want to own, because for me, it's big, um, being big. Uh, for so long, I wanted to be small, and I thought smaller was better. 
And I don't even remember when I started just calling myself big, but I just started owning it. And it was like ultimate freedom for me. It was like, I'm not trying to hide behind, um, you know, not being big. And in fact, um, I, I wrote a post on this on Instagram. I went rock climbing and Bethany and I had talked about this, um, Rock climbing was one of the things that I avoided doing because I was so nervous about uh, weight limits, fitting in the harness. Could someone belay me? Like, how Like how did that work? Were they going to have to support my weight? Like, I'm not little. Like, I'm just not. And um, I remember this man on the other end of the rope was, um, he was smaller than me. And he was, he was an adult man, but he was smaller than me. And... Um, I looked at him <laughs> before I started climbing and I said, you're going to be okay with like, are you, you ready for this? Like I've got some mass to me. And he was like, I'm fine. But it was just such an empowered, like I wasn't trying to like avoid, like I wasn't trying to hide anymore. It was just like, I'm big and I'm going to own it. And this feels so much better than trying to be like, you know, like just in denial about it or whatever. But um, what we hear a lot from our community, uh, members of our community, when they start to kind of own this language, or if they decide, yeah, like I'm gonna, I, I am fat. I'm gonna own it. I'm gonna call myself fat, and that feels good to me. And that's that's my personal preference on using the word. That what happens, and Bethany, you just mentioned this a while ago, is that they use the word in front of people who aren't used to using the word. They say, oh no 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 no, but you're not fat. Or, oh, no, no, but you're not big or you're not overweight or you're beautiful. Like, don't, don't say that about yourself. Uh, what would you say? What, what's your response to that? If you call yourself fat and people try to kind of argue you out of it, what do you, what's your response? Well, usually if somebody tries to argue you out of it, it's because you used it in conversation and it's a friend of yours or maybe like somebody you've seen on social media that you went to high school with and you haven't seen in a while, but you know, they're, they're usually somebody who really means well, right? They're trying to say like, oh, but you're beautiful, stop it. And <laughs> it, I, it reminds me of this meme I see with this baby with rolls and it says, you know, people say you're fat and me saying, did I say I was ugly though? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm cute. Yeah, people say, people say you're beautiful, you know, and did I say it was ugly? And so, um, you know, if they want to call me beautiful, I can say thank you. And uh, I'm, I'm just using fat as like a normal descriptive word. I'm not using it in a self-deprecating way. It's not an indicator of poor self-esteem on my part, or, you know, maybe it is, but whatever, you know, it's, it's not saying anything one way or the other about my self-esteem I'm using it in the same way as talking about what color my hair is and uh you know thanks for your concern that's kind of how I would respond right because we don't you like you said before we don't flinch when you say you know oh, my hair is brown or I'm tall or you know I have red nails right now we also yeah. don't flinch when people describe themselves as thin right you know that's yeah. right we do not so here's another question that comes up in our community too who can identify themselves as fat is this you know, I, I think people are looking to kind of speak in absolutes. They want like some sort of indicator where it's a it's a weight, it's a dress size, it's a body composition. Um, you know, like when I say I'm big, well, big is kind of a relative term. Big compared to what? Um, fat compared to what? You know, what? What? Um, who who can identify as fat? Is this just a personal preference? What do you think, Bethany? What's your opinion? Well, also, I think some of where the question might be coming from is, um, you know, people might be reading um, body positive or fat positive people say, you know, 
if thin people call themselves fat in front of your fat person, it's offensive and you should stop, you know? So I think uh, part of where it comes from, I guess, like you said, is wanting to know how, who, can, who can identify themselves. And also part of it is wanting to know like how to interact respectfully. Speaking for myself, I really appreciate that and I want to answer it in that spirit. I only speak for myself here. I know there are lots of different opinions on, you know, who can identify as what. Myself, I'm kind of in favor of letting people self-identify however they want, with the caveat being like, is the person truly choosing the word fat as self-identification, or are they using the word fat to disparage themselves or their behavior? So like what we'll see a lot is like people posting on social media a picture of some really like delicious looking meal or snack that they don't usually eat or in a really large portion from a restaurant or something. And they'll post the caption, look at me, I'm so fat, or oh my God, I'm so fat, I'm going to eat this. When people of any size do that, it's, it's, harm, it's harmful to fat people. It reinforces the stereotypes of what thin people think fat people do. And I'm absolutely not a fan of that. But as far as like, if you're genuinely wanting to identify yourself and setting a bar for like, how fat do you have to be to be allowed to identify as fat? When we're talking about identity and not self-deprecation, I just hope that people are going to be sensitive to what they're saying and how it affects people with less privilege than they have. So for example, like somebody who's a size 16 may indeed be considered fat if they're in a group of gymnasts or ballet dancers. And I don't want to minimize that at all. I'm sure they receive tons of discrimination in their fields and, you know, reduce job opportunities, possibly harassment, costumes, and, um, equipment not being made to fit them. So, you know, in that context, uh, size 16 may indeed be considered fat. Whereas in society in general, a size 16 is a lot closer to average than not. And it also doesn't have to deal with a lot of the hardships that people who are much larger have to deal with. So people, so a size 16, even though, you know, for a gymnast to be super fat in general for, um, the average person in society, a size 16, can find clothes that fit them in a brick and mortar store. They can likely fit into the booths at restaurants. They can likely fit into the chairs at movie theaters. They can likely fit into airline seats. And the bigger somebody is, the more discrimination they're likely to encounter um, on the institutional level, the more fat phobia they're likely to encounter. So even when we identify as fat, we can also see and acknowledge that some people have it easier than we do and others have it harder than we do. And intersectionality applies, as in, you know, a fat disabled person is more, more likely to encounter discrimination than someone who's able-bodied. And often fat people of color are more likely targeted than fat people who are white. Um, but that said, like, let's just, you know, be, be sensitive about it. So if you're hanging out with, um, if you're hanging out with your friends and they're fatter than you and you go oh my god I'm so fat in a disgusted tone of voice trust me they are going to notice that you said that that they that you think you're you, you are disgusting and since they are more fat than you that you that they are proportionally or exponentially more disgusting so I think we just, you know, it's it's fine to self-identify. I just really want to encourage people to think about, am I self-identifying or am I disparaging? Um, where's my intent coming from? Um, and right. I also do want to, oh, go ahead. 
No, I want you to finish and then I have a story. I also do want to say, like, sometimes thin or middleweight people actually do have body dysmorphia and they actually do believe they're fat. And that's a real issue. Um, in this case, if you like think somebody's using that language, but you don't really think they should identify as fat. I think if you're not a person's close friend or family member or healthcare provider or therapist, and sometimes even if you are, you aren't likely to change their mind by arguing with them. Um, it used to bother me, but now I choose to budget like where I spend my time and energy. Um, there are many things to worry about in the world. This particular thing, not super high on my list. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a continuum and I, I would be mindful of where you are, what you're saying and how you're saying it and who is listening. We've said this before in previous con in previous podcasts that common sense should come in <laughs> to play in some of these situations sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and with body dysmorphia can is a rampant, I think. And um, I used to have really severe body dysmorphia. Um, and we've covered in a previous podcast on the Minnesota starvation experiment that in studying people on diets, um, the more thin they become, the less thin they think they are and the bigger people around them seem. So just to tie that back to dieting, that dieting can um, create body dysmorphia in a person. Um, mm -hmm. And one thing um, I used to, be that person that um, we all can't stand now or that we're just talking about that would say, I'm so fat. Um, and I wanted to share how, um, I mean, I, as a thin person, I don't need to reclaim the word fat, but I guess in a way I needed to neutralize the word fat for myself as I was addressing my own fat phobia. And one thing I realized is that, um, I mean, I literally had a moment, which I've written about many times in Healthy Habits, Happy Moms and, um, and in our blog, is that um, I literally had a moment where I sank to my knees because I was so deep in diet culture and body loathing and self-loathing and um, had such bad body dysmorphia. And then I realized, um, is being fat the worst thing you can be? And the answer was no, that, that I was doing so many harmful things to myself to not be fat, yet those things are the worst, you know, they were far worse for me than, you know, ever having body fat on my body. So I just wanted to share that for anyone listening who um, is maybe thin and struggling with this topic is that, um, you know, we've really, you know, the, the idea that you internalized is that being fat is the worst thing you can be and it really isn't and um, then another story I wanted to share when we were talking about trying to show sensitivity is this came out of balance 365 um, it's in our first chapter of balance 365 in diet deprogramming we share a lot of personal stories um, with permission from our balance 365ers and I just wanted to read this one out I have diet deprogramming open in front of me um, this woman um, says after three pregnancies um, I've put on weight gotten stretch marks and have loose skin on my stomach that I literally have to tuck into my pants. Uh, one day my thin sister was over and the conversation turned to her complaining about how quote unquote fat and disgusting she is. She lifted her shirt and exposed in my mind a flawless stomach then proclaimed I can't even stand to look at myself in the mirror. Of course I reassured her you're beautiful. 
what I felt like saying to her was, if you woke up tomorrow in my body, you would want to kill yourself. I wish my sister could see that she has major body dysmorphia. I wish she knew how much she is hurting me and all women with the way she talks about her body. And I just thought that was such a impactful story um, and really cut to the, to the truth. I mean, to want to say to your sister, you know, and sometimes I think maybe she should have <laughs> to, to, you know, this, but this, this woman's obviously really struggling with her own issues of body dysmorphia and body image and self-loathing. And, and she's not considering, you know, who she's talking to and how much it's hurting her sister. And really that would be, you know, it's just, it's just such an awful situation. And you really have to look at what, um, diet culture and, um, you know, our, our body obsessed world, what it's doing to people and relationships. And, um, I mean, this is, you know, it's just awful. You know, it's, I was struck by the fact that she said, you know, if my sister woke up in my body, she'd probably want to kill herself. Um, and I've often had the same thought when people um, who are much smaller than me post self-deprecating things and about themselves. Um, I don't know if you remember, I posted a picture the other day where I didn't like the angle of the photo or the, um, you know, the color I was wearing, my work uniform. It wasn't really a great color for me. I didn't like the photo, but I was having a great time in the moment. And so I posted the picture anyway. And even knowing that, I think, you know, there are probably some people who want to look at that and say, if I looked like her, I'd want to kill myself. And that did cross my mind. So what you say about yeah, your I mean, body, even if you think you're only talking about yourself, it does hurt people. It does. And especially what I want to add here, because we are, we are primarily moms in our community, is that we're saying these things and we're often saying them in front of our children. And even before a child has, um, you know, identified who they are, what they like, what, you know, even you know, what their body type is, will end up being, um, they are developing these ideas at a really young age about um, our women's identities being tied to their bodies and that if your body doesn't look the way that it should look, then you um, will probably struggle with um, who you are and your finding worth in the world. So and that's something we're, we're, you know, we're, ha we're just handing that to our children um, at a really young age. And um, yeah, we need more, more help with that, I think, as moms. So speaking of children, Jen, that's another, that's another com uh, conversation that comes up in our community a lot is that um, how to handle children or how to respond to children, our children, when they use the word fat. Um, when they call someone fat, when they use the word fat, um, I, our response can really help shape their perspective on the word. And I know a lot of women in our community uh, really want to do a nice job in responding to, to how the children use the word. I know my children have used the word um, and it's taken, it's kind of taken some practice because my initial response was kind of shock, mortification, like, <gasps> don't use that word. Um, but, and Bethany, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts as well, that how can we respond when we hear our children call someone fat? Um, and that we know that children don't have a filter or they, they don't necessarily mean anything by it. 
Um, or they don't, we don't want them to embarrass or hurt anyone's feelings, especially in public. But, um, how can we have a conversation with our children without reinforcing fat phobia? I love that question, Annie. It's something we can all do as parents and teachers, regardless of our body size to be, um, better allies and to reshape the culture, um, for, um, for those who will be, um, growing up. Um, and it's also really easy. I'm a parent. Um, it could also be really easy to want to overreact, even if we know the child doesn't mean anything by it. Even if we know they have no filter, you know, my son's five. He's sometimes he'll say, you know, one time we saw a disabled person or, you know, a person who didn't have as long arms as the rest of us and walk, you know, walking a certain way. And he goes, why are you walking like that? And my first was, you know, and her response to my son was, why are you walking like that? That's um, great. I love and that. I said, well, people have, uh, people have different kinds of bodies and walk differently and that's okay. So even though I was tempted to go, I consciously didn't because, you know, I, I know, and you know, sometimes we don't know. It's like kind of like a no better, do better situation. And um, like Annie says, it could be a work in progress, but once you know that the way you respond to the, it, it has an effect both on you, on the child who said it and their perception of what they've noticed. Um, and it, and it also can, um, have an effect of like the person who heard the child say it, right? If you're telling, affirming to your kid, oh, don't say they're fat, then you're affirming for that person. Yeah. You think, you think fat's terrible terrible. Um, so I know we're all different and we all have different communication styles with our children. So I, what I wanted to do here was share some, um, share some different options on what you might say. I actually posed this question to some other, um, some other people who may have had, may have experience, you know, either as parents or as teachers and how they respond to young children if, you know, their child uses the word fat either about them or about somebody else in public. And um, there's not going to be a one-size-fits-all answer, but hopefully some of these, um, these ideas may work for some of you and be comfortable. Um, so I'll just kind of launch into them. Um, so my friend um, Glennis Oyston over at Dietitians Unplugged, that's a great podcast. You'd probably love that one too. Um, they talk a lot about fat phobia in that one. Uh, so I want to give her credit for this suggestion. And she suggested that maybe for the really young kids, um, instead of being mortified by our child's naming of the fat body, maybe we parents can tell the stranger we're teaching him or her that all bodies are good bodies and that includes all shapes and sizes. So just kind of saying that to the person, you know, so your child can hear, Hey, all bodies are good. Sorry if he embarrassed you, you know, we know it's like weird to comment on bodies in public. We're teaching him all bodies are good. Um, that's one option that might feel comfortable. Another option is, um, yes, that, yes, I am fat or yes, that person is fat, but, it's not polite to comment on other people's bodies because some people are sensitive about their bodies, no matter what their size or shape. Again, not saying fat is worse than anybody, just saying, you know, whatever the body looks like, it's not polite to comment on it. Um, you might even say it's not polite to comment on other people's bodies. Please apologize. And 
And then, you know, maybe when the person is out of earshot, you can have a conversation with your child um, about their observation in a neutral way. Um, another way you can talk to a child, depending on the age, you might say, I have no problem with you asking questions about my body or other people's bodies, but some people get their feelings hurt. So our rule is we don't make comments about people's bodies in public. You may ask your question later when we're at home or some variation of that. So like, you know, I tell my son there are things we do in public and there are things we do at home. Um, he likes to pick his nose and eat it. He's going to be really mad at me when I'm, when <laughs> he's a teenager. He, there's certain things he, he picks his nose and you know, uh, he's five, he's going to pick his nose, right? Like adults do when they're yeah. in private too. Let's stop pretending we don't. But I tell him you, that that's not something you may do at school. You can do that at home or, um, you know, kids like sit at the dinner table with their hands down their pants and say, who wants to see my bum? And you say, well, right. we don't put our hands in our pants at the table. We do that in our room. Right. So, and I'm not trying to give him a complex about that. I'm just trying to say there are places we do it. So mm -hmm. part of it could be, we don't comment on people's bodies out in public. And that's, uh, that's probably a great rule for adults to learn to follow too. So I'm in favor of mm -hmm. that. Um, then there's like responding to the um, content of what they say. You can say, yes, I am fat. And isn't it great that people come into, in such a variety of shapes and sizes? Isn't that cool? You might say that, um, so, you know, put a positive spin on it. Um, you might, you know, you might say, you might observe something about them. So if, you, if somebody, a little kid comes up to you and says, you have a fat tummy. Uh, you might say, yes, and you have a little tummy or something like that. Turn it around. Um, or you might say something else about yourself. Yeah, I do have a fat tummy. I also have brown hair and I'm wearing a red shirt today and I'm wearing um, blue shoes. And mm -hmm. you are wearing red shoes, you know, just kind of make it neutral, um, especially for very small children. They tend to love when you affirm their observation in that way. Um, and you, you might even say something like, you're so observant. What else do you notice about me? Um, if they're saying it about you. Um, you might say something like, if your child says you have a big bum, you could say, I love my big bum. Isn't it great? <laughs> um, again, you're wanting to make it positive, so you're not telling them, you just said something horrible. Um, I would probably use that one if I was in a home, because if I... I was out in public, I might want to use the teachable moment, like, let's not comment on people's bodies in public, okay? Um, but right. let's say it was somebody close to me, and they said, um, Aunt, Aunt Sally has a big bum, Mom. And you might say, don't we love it? It's great. You know, Aunt Sally has a big bum. Mm -hmm. um, those are some ways we can talk without um, reinforcing fat phobia, because, like, the, oftentimes children, when they say these things, they're not really, they don't do it with malicious intent and so you know they might be just as bewildered you know almost bewildered if we assume they did because they didn't necessarily mean anything by it um one person said that like if a little kid asked about the big belly she says it's it's great for hugs i mean i i have a big belly and um you know i have mixed feelings about it uh, but one of the things i do like about it is that my son loves giving it hugs and loves snuggling and 
So that's, um, you know, th those are some ways that I have that we might respond. Um, Annie and Jen, do you have any other ways you might want to add? You know, they, I mean, they kind of just echo what you said, but I, I, I pretty vividly remember, um, when I was pregnant with Blair Sloan, um, called my belly fat and, um, I had practiced enough. This wasn't the first time the word fat had come up in our family, but, um, I remember like just, I needed to pause and like, okay, this is, this is a moment. This, this could be like a moment, you know, and I, I w really wanted to do this, this moment justice, um, not to put too much pressure on myself or anyone else, but, um, you know, my, my, my belly was getting bigger and to her, I'm sure it did look fat, but I could tell the look on her face. She was kind of like a test, like maybe not testing me, but just, she was looking for my reaction. And I just pretty much said, you know what, my belly's, my belly is getting bigger. It's, that's the way it's supposed to be right now. Um, you know, it's allowing room for the baby to grow and, and, um, but, um, she used the word fat. And so I also went in to just say, you know, people have various amounts of fat on their body. People, some people have more fat, some people have less fat and it's neither good or bad. And, uh, we don't, as you said, we don't need to comment on other people's bodies and, um, your body is your business and my body is my business. And she kind of looked at me like, okay, see ya. And like ran, ran off. But I was like, wait, no, I need an award for that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I felt like I did a really good job there. I love that like, line. <laughs> yeah. And, virtual um, high five, Annie. I love they, that line. Like your body you. is your business. My body is my business. Or you might, we could do that if your child says it to somebody out in public. Well, your body is your business and his body is his business. And yeah. that could be an option for what to say too. Yeah. It, well, it just really just echoes, you know, people come in all shapes and sizes. Like, I mean, cause that's the truth. It's not some BS answer. Like that is the way this world is made up. And that's what makes it so great. In my opinion, that we all don't look the same. Um, and you know, there's even, we even have a handful of children books and I think Jamie Lynn, Jamie, Jamie Lynn Curtis, Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee? Jamie Lee Curtis, yeah. Yeah, she has a children's book um, that's kind of along the same line, like What I Like About Me or I Like Me. And I know there's other children's books too, but those can be a great uh, reminder too, just focusing on um, what makes you unique and physical attributes other than, you know, just how big or small you are. Um, you know, I've got brown hair, I've got curly hair, I've got blue eyes, I've got, you know this color skin, you know, whatever that makes you special and unique and valuing the uniqueness in others. So, and I know Jen, you have some experiences as well. Yeah. I just, um, I had a moment that was, um, almost really bad. It was at my son's fifth birthday and, um, we had, um, a whole bunch of guests there and, there was one woman at the party where she was handing out cake and she put cake in front of my son and he goes, um, you're really fat. And I mean, all the adults in the room just about died. I, I was, I was horrified. This was my son horrified for this woman. Um, her husband's face went white when it was said. And, you know, there was just a pause and I was about to jump in and, and reinforce that this is a bad idea. So I was about to jump in and say, Sam, when the woman said, um, she burst out laughing and she said, yes, I am. And she moved on. <laughs> 
and we all moved on and we all kind of had a chuckle and it just really released that tension in the room. And later I thought, oh my goodness, that woman was just, that was perfect. And um, that night I spoke to my son about it and I said, um, I just said, um, we don't comment on other people's um, body types. Um, it's just not polite. And he said, okay. Like, you know, he just, he just, kids are so accepting. And um, yeah, it was just a really neat little learning point for me. And back to um, Bethany's point, what I really like that she said was that, I mean, I do think we need to, yes, publicly, you can tell your kids not to um, comment on other people's bodies, but I like the idea of creating a safe space at home for kids to ask questions about other people's bodies. Um, and that, yeah, like I always want my kids to know I'm a, you know, a safe haven, safe space for them to question things that they see in the world. And I can explain it to them um, with the truth. And the other thing I was thinking of when Bethany was talking about her soft tummy and how much her son loves it. Um, I, again, have a stomach that's full of stretch marks. And um, I have never hid that from my children and um, they've started asking me more questions about my stomach and I'm just really open with it and I'm not, you know, I make sure they know like this is not something I'm ashamed of or anything and this is, um, you know, I say, well, this is where Sam was sitting when he was in my tummy and on this side, this is where Brandon was sitting when he was on my tummy um, and so um, and now when they see my stomach and I've let them touch them and they just kind of think they're neat. Like, and now when they see them, I feel like it's become a special thing for them when they say, this is where I was in mom's tummy. And Brandon will say, this is where I was in mom's tummy. And yeah, it's just, you know, it, I just kind of feel so thankful that I, you know, I know not every woman comes to um, these realizations or has these epiphanies so early on in their in their motherhood journey as I have. And I feel so thankful that I was, and I'm able to, you know, explain these things um, about the world, about other people's bodies, my body, um, just to completely neutralize it because that wasn't a luxury I had growing up. I mean, my fat phobia probably started very, very young, like most people's. So, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think oh, and another thing I, I found, um, for explaining for children, um, if it's older children who, who maybe have heard bad things about being fat already, uh, you know, from school or from, you know, kids in school, teachers, other relatives, um, a really great uh, video to introduce them to the concept of size diversity is, um, and we should definitely link this in the show notes, it's a video, I believe it's called Poodle Science. And what was that? What was that? <laughs> Poodle science, like the kind of dog. So poodle science. And it's a video um, put out by the um, Association for Size, Diversity, and Health, ASDA, I think they, I think that's what it's called. And they have a video called Poodle Science. And they explain it in terms of like there are different types of dogs. There are poodles and there are mastiffs. And they have different body types and different lifespans and different health conditions that might affect them. And it's not simply a matter of making the Mastiffs lose weight because a starved Mastiff is not the same as a Poodle, even if it's the same weight as a Poodle. Right. It doesn't have the same genetics. So this is a great, um, great video for, you know, if you have older children and you're trying to explain the concept of size diversity, um, 
check out a video called Poodle Science. It's on, I, I believe it must be on YouTube, um, and it's pretty short, but it's a, it's a neat little animation. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah, so we have covered a lot in this episode, um, and there's so much more we could talk about. We got through about half of our outline here on our podcast. So Bethany, would you be willing to join us again for a, a second parter here so we can talk about some more of the topics that regard um, regarding fat phobia and the word fat? Would you be Would you be willing to join us again? Oh my goodness, absolutely. I want to go out for coffee with you ladies for real. And, you know, this <laughs> that would be so, so fun. fun. It would, it would be and fun. I like, want to say how much I, I know I've said this before in private um, to each of you. Um, one of the things I really appreciate is um, you ladies using your privilege as people who more closely meet the societal standard of beauty to, um, to bring, um, bring attention to these issues rather than um, just, you know, selling food plans and not addressing why people want these food plans and these movement plans and these habit changes and you're using your privilege to um to help shape their ideas and i've i've seen so many women in healthy habits happy moms who have said you know initially i wanted to lose weight and healthy habits happy moms did not they didn't tell me not to do it but you know after a while i realized that i didn't really care about the way that i wanted to be healthy and so so um, I really appreciate what you do. Oh, that's sweet of you. Thank you. We appreciate members like you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you make, I mean, it's a community and what, what makes up a community, the people in it and how they interact with each other. And we, like our community wouldn't be the same without you, really. No, Thank absolutely, Are we absolutely all not. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Vir- virtual hug. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of Healthy Habits Happy Moms Radio. Um, and but we're gonna have Bethany back on so we can dive deeper into some of these topics and uh, keep going, keep this discussion going. So, um, if you like what you heard today, make sure you give us a uh, rating on iTunes and share with your friends because it's just it's like a little party, isn't it? Like. With gr- with your girlfriends, <laughs> Jen's dancing, but you can't see her. So she's got some moves. All right, yeah. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much, ladies. We'll talk soon. If you like what you heard today, I invite you to check out our free 30-minute workshop where Jennifer Lauren and I discuss how to reach your goals without dieting extremes and how to have fun while you get there, which you can find at balance365.co. That's B-A-L-A-N-C-E 365.co, as well as join nearly 30,000 women across the globe in our free Facebook community at Healthy Habits, Happy Moms. And if you really like what you heard today, be sure to give it a review on iTunes so we can keep bringing you amazing content. Thanks, everyone.